Hey everybody, it's Matt Johnson. We are back with another episode of the Pursuing Results Podcast. This is where we interview successful people on one book that changed their life. We have an amazing successful entrepreneur here with us today. We'll bring him in in a second. Not only is he talking about a book that changed his life, he is also the author of a book and we'll get a little bit of information on that and let you know where you can go find both books. So we're actually like uh, talking about a couple of different things in today's episode. But uh, let's bring in the uh, the junior grandmaster himself, my regular co co-host and cohort and uh, Partner in crime, I guess, Greg McDaniel. Yes, I, yes, I would say so. And in watching you move your hand, Matt, I'm pretty sure you locked locked the camera. So I, even if I did talk, I wouldn't have been able to have been seen. I know your tricks, and yeah. I know what you're up to, and I don't <laughs> like it. Okay. I, All it's right. It's a wonderful that, control I have hey, under Google Hangouts. It's hey, great. this is my time to talk. Shush. You're doing this. I need this. Okay. No, I'm super excited, man. I Jay is an amazing human being. We had him on Real Estate Uncensored twice. You guys will learn so much from this man. It's unreal. Honest to God, take out a pen, take out a piece of paper, start writing, don't stop, rewind if you have to, because this man is going to blow your mind. And with that, Jay, what's up, man? That's uh, hum high praise. I'm just happy to be here with you guys. And what a great topic uh, for uh, this, this uh, podcast audience. Because in this particular case, as a young child, I stumbled across a book that literally changed the course of my life. And okay. how often do you get to say that if you're not a preacher? I was um, just going to say, if you well, the Bible kind of does that a lot. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about what books came into my life at age nine. That's that's a whole Dr. other conversation. Doctor Seuss uh, does not count. Doctor Seuss, really? Nine. All right. Anyway, I was thinking systematic theology. Probably magazines would be the answer there, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, so Jay, for those that don't know who you are, just give us the uh, sixty-second bio on who you are, where you are, and what you do. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I like to call myself a serial disruptor because I start businesses that change uh, the world. Uh, created what became the first online auction. Later, you know that as eBay. Uh, worked with Reed Hoffman to blow up LinkedIn. Uh, Uvu, which is a video chat. So technology that I've been a part of is used by billions of people around the world. And it's as simple as just finding a solution and making money. Love it. And so, and then the reason that we had you on Real Estate Uncensored to begin with is because Greg ran across your book, Disrupt You. And so where, uh, where do people go to get, uh, to get started with that? And I believe you still have the, the uh, kind of free workbook download. Yeah, so Disrupt You um, is available in seven languages now. It's in wow. Kindle. It's in audio if you want nine hours of my voice. Uh, but you can get it uh, Amazon anywhere online. And if you go to jsamit.com, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T, I will give you as a gift today a 40-page workbook that can start you on the process of self-disruption, transforming, and really synthesizing your goals. And I know both of you went and used the workbook and actually mm -hmm. came up with a new business that uh, grew out of that process. So you, yeah. you, are, you are proof that it works. It does right. work. I, uh, I, have wor I have done the workbook, guys. It is amazing what you will figure out about yourself and about you know, as Jay works, work, walks you through everything. And by the way, Jay, just so you know, I have had nine hours of you in my ears because I bought the audio book. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, the most fun thing that, to update you because you guys were be, behind this early on is I hear from readers all over the world. I've heard from readers in over 100 countries of how it's changed their life. One guy who was barely supporting his kids in Pakistan and now is the wealthiest, highest paid guy in his field in the entire country. Wow. I kid you not. And then I had two students that did $150 million the first year. So 
it is really not that I'm giving you anything that isn't out there. I'm really just helping you connect the dots. Anybody can do it, you know, for the price of a latte, you know, a six pack mm -hmm. of beer, change your life. And, but today we're not just here to talk about Disrupt You, which is me paying it forward to the next generation of entrepreneurs because I really believe we need more people creating jobs and opportunities. But how, how did I as a young boy start thinking different? Because that's what it's really about. If you follow the BS you were taught by parents and teachers of sit there, learn this stuff, whatever, you made a good soldier, you made a good factory worker, you made a good, you know, sit there. Well, there are no 40-year gold watches, there are no stable, you're going to work in one place forever. So unless you learn to really think different and create opportunity, you're not going to have a successful time on this planet. Yeah, yeah very true. So, yeah, so the book was the Preda Principle, which, um, and maybe there's there's more more to it, but I'm curious, I mean, you said he came into your life as a young child, so what was the main takeaway that, like, set, like, just caused you to explode your mind? So I was I was sick at home, nine or ten years old. There's no not a whole lot to do back then. You have three channels of television, and there's nothing for kids during the day. And the book happened to be a bestseller in 1969, and was laying around my house. And I picked it up, and the principle, the 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 the, the sentence that sums up the book best in one sentence is Lawrence Peter looked at why there were so many incompetent, maddeningly incompetent people that you run into in the world. And he said that every employee rises to their level of incompetence. The exact opposite of what you thought. You thought everybody gets promoted up and does great. But what he, what he explained, and I'll use the example of teachers, if you're a great teacher, you're fantastic with those little kids in the classroom. They love you, you love them, what do they do? They promote you to principal. Now, principal doesn't deal with students. A principal deals with parents. If you're good at that, they promote you to school board. If you're bad at that, if you're bad at being a principal, you don't get up to school board. You stay at that lousy job that you're bad at. So you keep on getting promoted until you're something that you fail at, and then there you stay. So most people are actually in the job that they shouldn't have. Hmm. I can think of a Mind few blown. <laughs> and as we're saying this, everybody is picturing somebody that they had to deal with in the past 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever, or standing in the next cube or sitting in the corner <laughs> office and going, oh my God, that makes so much sense. My boss is such a moron, okay? Now, let, let me tell you the impact of this. I am, I, I wish I remembered the exact date, but about 10 years old, okay? Like any other 10-year-old. And I suddenly saw teachers different, not as these all-knowing, all-wonderful yeah. Okay, I saw adults. I saw everybody. So I said, you know what? Let me see if I can, you know, start hustling. Let me see if I can make some money. I filed my first federal tax return at 11 years old because oh I made God. so much money. <laughs> <laughs> I paid my way through college. I bought my first house before I graduated college. No way. Good lord, man. Okay, and as you know, I sold my first company for millions and on and on and on. And this isn't a me, me, me. I was a dyslexic kid. I was not the, you know, the perfect kid, okay? You know, if anyone can apply these principles, because it'll change how you look at that person you're selling, how you're looking at that customer, that client, and you suddenly realize, because most people go in and go, oh my God, I have this big giant meeting with you know, Coca-Cola, this guy really must be on top of his game to have that job at Coke. 
No, he probably had, was on top of his game, but he's been promoted in something that he's struggling at. Hmm. So now I'm not going to sell that person. I'm going to help that person. I'm going to give a solution to their problem. And at the end of the day, all that an entrepreneur is, is solving problems for others. So I wish I could tell you the deal that I just put together this week, but I'd be shot. But, <laughs> well, let's not do that then. <laughs> but it, it involves one of the most famous Hollywood talents. And applying the Peter principle, I didn't go in offering more money because there's always somebody with a bigger check. I went in realizing that as big as they are, they feel like a failure because they haven't achieved X. And I had to figure out what that person's X was. And the second I did, their manager lost control of the, of the process. <laughs> their manager would lose their job and their 15% of this person's hundred plus million dollars of income a year if they don't close this. Suddenly the power didn't go from the star that gets pitched everything, the power was mine. Mm. And next July, July of 2017, I'll proudly tell you what we put together. <laughs> um, uh, but it all comes back to, you know, Lawrence Peter with such a simple concept. Hmm. And you can apply it to every interaction. By the way, for you single guys out there, it yes, applies sir. to dating, okay? <laughs> when you go out on a date, that woman isn't dating you. She's dating She's comparing you to every man she's ever interacted with before. Yeah. You're <laughs> now being, you know, uh. <laughs> is he one of those? So yeah. it's really changes. So 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 Lawrence Peter, you know, opened up this whole you know pop psychology way of looking at business, and you know you can get into all the movements that grew out later and all the all the self help and all the actualization, all that. I don't buy into that. I do buy into the fact of we have a messed up world because a hierarchy promotes people into a position where they fail and then there they stay for the rest of their time. So let's okay, let's say let's go back to the teacher analogy. Let's okay. say we have the teacher. How right. do we how do we go not how do we how do they not I know the answer to this, but I want to hear you say it. How do you not get promoted to principal? How well, do you stay at the job that you're good at so you're not you know, languishing in mediocrity and floundering like a dead fish? Well, well, I'll tell you how the government of Sweden does it. Teachers get paid more than principals. Oh. That works. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's, say, let's, say, um, let's, say, let's say real estate agent, like yours truly, then going, I mean, I'm good with buyers and sellers. And the only way to scale is suddenly to manage a whole bunch of other... Alpha really? Shark Realtors, and a I skill set that's the opposite of what you do. Exactly. I, I would commit homicide on everyone around me because I would do. A, I, I, I hate politics and stuff like that. So how do I not go to that level? How does someone ah. not go there and still be successful? You do what Sweden did. If you've now had the insight to recognize that, then you don't want to become that manager. You can hire that manager to manage people. As opposed to you having the ego to say, you're going to be that position. Good point. Pay there are people that are really, really good at managing people mm -hmm. that would suck at what you do. Exactly. So let me give you Jay's example in my own life. Okay. So some of the biggest tech companies, you know, as you know, I've you know, 
uh, Sony and Universal and you know worked with IBM and Intel and Apple and Steve Jobs and all these people, I have never written a line of code. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> How does that work? I am not an engineer. <laughs> By the way, I wrote exactly the same amount of code as Steve Jobs. Zero. Yeah. So what? we have. It's insane. Steve wasn't an engineer. Really? He didn't write any code? Oh, Wozniak did all the writing? All the code writing? <laughs> Wozniak did everything. But if you talk to Woz, Woz will tell you he wouldn't have created the world's largest, most successful company because that wasn't in him. Yeah. So the key is recognizing that that risk of wanting to do. Now, as a manager of people, you know, I've run companies with 170,000 employees. I've run companies, you know, with 10 employees. The challenge is you're going to have that person that comes to you with that ego of I want to be in charge. You know, your best engineer wants to be, you know, the head of, of project management or the head of the department of this thing. You go, oh my God, now our code will go to crap and everything will go to chaos. Okay. So you try to come up with ways. And and again, not not to getting myself in trouble. I had a particular company where we made somebody CTO, chief technology officer. We gave them none of the responsibilities, but the only way to keep this person was to give them that big title, and they didn't exactly know what came with the title. So here's the title, and now keep on doing what you were doing before, and oh no, don't worry about figuring out what the company should be doing or new technology. Uh, we got somebody else working on that. And <laughs> we got the rappers working on that one. <laughs> at one of the major Hollywood film studios, there's an excellent executive. Ooh, do I want to get in trouble? No. Um, <laughs> Let's sidestep that mind. <laughs> who is one of the most senior titles, but he has absolutely zero people other than his assistant that report to him. And he's been there 20 years. Why? Because they recognized early on that he's not a manager. He couldn't manage a P&L you know, to save his life. He couldn't get a production you know, on, on track. He couldn't do any of that. But by the way, he happens to be loved and cherished by talent, by directors, by writers, and he can fix problems, yeah. which bean counters can't fix. Yeah. So there are people that figure out how to structure their organization, how to become entrepreneurs that are empowered by what's in the Peter Principle. Mm -hmm. And so when you really look and you now, now that you've read Peter Principle second, when you reread or re-listen re to Disrupt You, you can see how I applied those things to my lens that I put on the world of opportunity. This is why I could sit alone in a room and say, let's take Uvu and go up against only three companies. Google Hangouts, Apple FaceTime, and Microsoft Skype. The three largest tech companies in the world. You'd have to be nuts to say that you could come up with a video chat that would compete with those. And yet, there's 150 million people using Uvu right now because we did that. Because we knew that everybody in those organizations reached their level of incompetence. They were just focused on doing what they've been doing the way they've been doing it. And we decided to make a platform for 14-year-old girls to talk to each other, which, by the way, then meant that 15-year-old boys would start going and so on and so on and so on. <laughs> so, <laughs> just follow the train. <laughs> All right, so, so, so here's, I think, the big question for, like, entrepreneurs is <clears> – <throat> So you are, I guess we're all in the position of 
Well, first of all, we might be at the level of our own incompetence, but let's set that aside. <laughs> but let's assume that we have not yet promoted ourselves through hook and crook, and, and we're, not, we're, not, we're in a position where we're operating in our competence. But we have staff, and we need things to get done. Right. And we have to put staff in place to get X, Y, and Z done, and we're trying to avoid the mistake of being the guy that puts that person in the, in the position of incompetence. So I, I recognize the idea of not looking at past performance and looking at future potential, but it's... Uh, that, that's got to be, I mean, where do you decide as an entrepreneur, I have a weak spot, do I hire someone or do I work on the weak spot? Great question. So here's the big mistake that most entrepreneurs do, okay? You're bright enough, good enough to have some success to be in that position to be doing what you're doing and you're chief cook, bottle washer and everything in between, okay? And the second you bring on somebody, they suck. They are not as good as you which is why they were available to be hired and why you're not working for them, okay? So <laughs> people forget that. But everybody starts getting in this, I can't hire these people, and then they create this culture where they keep on criticizing and telling them what they're doing wrong. And so here's the basic mathematical equation to solve that problem, okay? You, Matt, are an, for this sake of argument, your partner <laughs> may disagree, you are an A student and you consistently get 90%. That 10% you could improve on, but you get 90%. You are only going to be hiring C students. They get 70%. So by definition, that person you're hiring sucks compared to you. But if you hire two C students, they're scoring a total of 140 on the test, where the best you could do if you stayed up night and day would be 100. Right. That's how you scale a business. Okay. Let's take it to the nth degree. McDonald's. More people have worked at McDonald's than any other corporation on earth. They have systematized everything down to the point that it's really robotics. There isn't any thinking. Okay? When that fry machine beeps, you pick up the thing out of the oil. For a few dollars more, they could make it that the French fries lift out of the oil on their own and get rid of that fry guy, and you're going to see robotics taking out a lot of jobs. But yeah. basically, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to accept the level of performance of people and then the real question then switches what can you do to make those people have a positive experience while being a C student and let me give you the example in school if every time I was your teacher and you took a test I gave you a C how engaged in my class would you be how happy would you be me yeah. I'd be ecstatic Great. Yes, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be miserable. Yeah. Now, I spent 10 years, as you know, making video games and made some of the biggest video games in the world. Let me tell you video game theory. You start off sucking and you get points added. Hmm. You die and die again and you come back with each time you do a little better. It's the exact opposite of the educational system. Do you right. see the corollary? Oh, yeah. Now, you want to play that game again because I got a 71 this time. I got a 72. I'm improving. I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm still a C student. Yeah. Yeah. This That's is how this you is have exactly to manage your employees. It's a zero-sum game. When I, if I go out on the golf course, which I would never, ever do, but the one time I have done it, I have realized that it is not a question of whether I shall win. The only question is how badly shall I perform today in relation to the objective standard? <laughs> well, or on your personal best, can you do better than you did before at something? So that's the key to managing people. 
It's not that they're going to do better on what you've decided. Find something that they can feel better that matches their goals. No, yeah, it's not, th it's not sales. It's not bottom line. It's not they use less paper clips. You know, they were on time every time. You know, let's not dehumanize this. What's something that makes a person feel valued? And moving up a scale. And by the way, tons of studies prove giving a raise doesn't make a person feel better. Yeah, it's quality of life. It could be a vacation. It could be accolades. It could be maybe the title you were talking about. It could be anything so, else, right? So at my first company, imagine not Gray Jay, but uh, young 20-something-year-old Jay has a bunch of people with a bunch of different skills. We're making video games, and we have tons of excess time, okay? Less less clients than, than we had uh, hours, you know, uh, to fill. So each year, I would sit down with everybody and say, okay, what's the pro bono project that we can put our skills to? And when you have downtime, let's work on this. So we designed the first software on computers for handicapped children. Hmm. We didn't get paid for it. But it sure made everybody enjoy their job. It sure made them feel like they were doing something meaningful. We designed museum exhibits, world fairs. We designed... One of the things I was most proud of was uh, for the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. I know I'm going on a, off on a tangent, but it popped in my head. How could we make touring a Holocaust Museum a personal experience? Now, think about that for a second. You have people that are 80-year-old survivors. You have first-grade inner-city kids. You have visitors from Germany. You have people that have never heard of the Holocaust, Okay crazy of daughters and moms and kids, wide range of audience, and it's not exactly a technology museum where you're going to have a bunch of buzz and light years. It's, it's a chronological walking through corridors going from the 1930s to the end of the war. So what we came up with was bins of passports when you go in, separated by male and female and by age, where you got to see the story of one person, your age. So it's, it's, it's Greg's age, you're, you're uh, a father, you have a, a, a younger brother, you can't stand your younger brother, and as you go through chronologically, you just hold it up and it has a barcode on the back, and the wall prints out the next page of your story. I only wish I could see my brother again, I wish I knew if he was alive. And at the end of the museum, you'll hold it up, and 18% of the people got to meet the survivor, the actual person, a video interview where you actually hear that person talk about their life. Hmm. Now, Goodness. you talk to anybody that worked with me those years at, at Jasmine and ask them, what were they paid? Did they get a bonus that year? Okay. They won't remember that. Ask them, what do you remember about working there? We worked on some amazing things. See how you reverse it? Yeah. 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 It's a completely different way, which is a more natural and by the way, way to motivate people. That works for a real estate office, that mm. works for a sign company, that works for a podcaster, that works for anything. We have excess brain capacity. Let's use it in a way that makes the environment feel better. And if you're not creative enough, then have a fully stocked fridge and just keep them fat. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, bring, in the, bring in the ping pong table, yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, I don't know where, if this is just something that came instinctively to you, but it's it's one of the things that I've been reading about a lot in, um, like, David Maester's stuff, Managing the Professional Services Firm, which is an old book, but it, was, it didn't come out until 1993. But he talks a lot about how professional service firms, they'll let their the asset of their skills and experience just decline over time because they keep on milking it and they keep on taking the same mix of projects that doesn't push them to develop their skills any further. And for whatever reason, I'm curious where that, did you just intuitively understand because of the world you were in that the skills had to keep improving? Because most people outside of that don't recognize that. They try to milk it for as long as they can, then they're dragged into a new skill set. So I came at it from a different side. I, I didn't get to see it after the fact the way most people did. It's that I came out of college at a time of recession. No one was hiring. There were no jobs. I didn't know what I was going to do. And the one thing I did know is if I had to apply to do anything that already was being done, there's somebody with years of experience, a better reel, better resume, better track record, tons of customers. I will never get that job. I remember thinking, ooh, maybe I could write a movie. Oh, yeah, you got to compete against Mel Brooks and Woody Allen, and they're writing movies, right? Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, but if you focus on the next new thing, then there are no experts. So I printed up $1 business cards that I was going to compete with ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. You know, I was going to give you special effects like Star Wars. That was the big movie when I was in college. And very few people had a computer background. Very few people had any knowledge how to do special effects. And I hustled and I got a ton of work. Okay. And I didn't have a clue how to do it. But then I could go hire the people that knew how to. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so when you look now at people that are the internet of things experts and 3D printing experts and Bitcoin experts, they did the same thing. They just woke up one day and said, hey, I'm an expert. And then they fought and worked really hard to maintain that. So so for me, naturally, it was always focusing on what's next, what's new, how's the world changing, because it's a semi-level playing field to rise to the top of that field. Yeah. If it's who's going to be the biggest commercial realtor you know, in California, it doesn't matter what day you start. Somebody started a decade or two decades before you. If it's, you know, Who's going to be, you know, the first person to set up a community for trading 3D models for all your 3D printers? You go, wow, that's a billion-dollar business. Nobody's done it. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and there's another way for those of us that are in, uh, and I, I guess I include myself in it because of being the the relationship to the real estate industry. But you know, nothing's really changing in in real estate as far as the the quality and the complexity of the transaction. There's people that are trying to stack technology on top of it, but the underlying complexity, unfortunately, hasn't changed. But so crowdfund crowdfunding has radically changed commercial real estate. Yeah, and that's yeah, I, mean, why I jumped and launched that first company in the space. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Everybody's been figuring out how to get their capital the same way for like 400 years. Yeah. Hey, Giovanni, you want to help me build this thing in Venice? Yeah, but we need more money. Okay, I know a guy. Okay. <laughs> I, know. I know a guy. Right? <laughs> Crowdfunding yes. is, you could see all the stats on, on what, 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 uh, what the cap rate is, what the occupancy rate, the inflow, everything. You have more data that you can do. So the bigger difference with the Peter Principle and, and the era that we live in that I write about and disrupt you is data. We never okay. used to have data. Right. And data can solve everything. So I'll give you a great one. Do both of you guys use Uber? Yeah. Have you 
ever used Uber when your phone battery was nearing being dead? Yes, repeatedly at the San Diego airport. And when you've done that, have you noticed that you're being, coincidentally, surge pricing? What? So now mm. let me give you the big data. When you click into all these apps, they have the right to look at stuff. They noticed that when people were, that their batteries were about to die, they were less likely to not say yes to surge pricing and go away. Huh. So the best thing you can do before you call Uber, boy, you look like a deer in headlights right now, Greg. Is, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> if you want to save 20%, make sure your battery's charged. Interesting. So no. big data is being used for everything in yeah. ways and insights that people haven't thought before. So there's a, a clear-cut example of an, oh, my God, you'll never think of it the same. Okay? Well, timing as well with Uber. I know that they do surge pricing after a certain time in the evening time, like after midnight or whatever. I mean, I had to get a ride home from my brother-in-law's you know, place after celebrating his birthday. And then my ride cost me, I think, $16. Uh, the ride there, same exact route. Cost ten dollars, and so it's on timing as well, which is incredible. Well, it's every data point. So the exactly. whole point is, what can you use and get access to data in your business to give you that data advantage over everybody else? Mm -hmm. Disney gets my coolest invention of the century almost award for the bracelets that they now have for their theme park in Florida. So oh, yeah, you're, yeah, I heard about you're this. the nice family of four going down. In the mail comes a bracelet for each one. First of all, it allows you to know what rides, what time, you know, you don't have to wait in line. Two, it allows them to know where you are in the park so they can see, well, families of four do this path through the park and spend here. We should move the popcorn machine or do this or that. It allows it to be a payment thing so little Billy and little Sue can just go up to the popcorn machine and wave their hand and it goes on your hotel bill, okay? And it has holes drilled into it so you can buy little charms to attach to it. So it is a souvenir, it is a data collection, it is a maximizing what you need as far as staffing, what rides are successful. It gives them so much info that they've never had on how visitors experience the park. Hmm. What if they were thinking of shutting down ride A as opposed to ride B, and they go, oh my God, we didn't realize, yes, not everybody goes on this ride, but that's because the families are sitting next door and eating or some new insight. Mm -hmm. huh. That's fantastic. I mean, now, now people seem to go out there and figure out how to collect the data. So, I mean, how to, how to reverse engineer it, essentially, and look at it through different lenses. And when can you launch a business, wink, wink, where the data is more important than the capital that everybody else wants to divide up? Yeah, interesting. So I'll take you back in, you. in my Wayback Machine, mm -hmm. um, and this video is up on on YouTube if you want to see what Jay looked, uh, you know, 30 years ago and 50 pounds ago. Um, uh, MTV was popular, but very few people had cable, and so I came up with a video jukebox so you could watch music videos at a bar. The problem with technology back then is when you pick one song to the next, it could be as much as a two-minute delay in accessing one video to the next. We use laser discs. So I go, uh oh, I got a tragic flaw with my video disc jukebox. What what I then said is that's not a flaw, that's a feature. I'll make it always two minutes between the videos and I'll put commercials. 
who would want to get inside a bar and advertise? Well, booze weren't allowed to advertise on television. Turned out ROTC was my biggest advertiser. You know, you're drunk, you're alone. <laughs> Go sign up. But anyway, oh it was gosh. that data that allowed me then to go to the jukebox convention and say free jukeboxes to the right locations. And everybody's like, what are you talking about free? Well, <laughs> of the 50 cents that you get per play, you keep 50 cents. Of the cost of the machine, it's free. Okay? And suddenly, I had built an ad network that no one questioned. And I got to keep 100% of the ad dollars, which is where the big money was. Hmm. So it's not a flaw, it's a feature. Yeah. That ju just that alone was worth the entire podcast. <laughs> yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. That is ridiculous. But watch that video and you'll, you'll laugh at uh, what a confident young sales guy was standing next to my jukebox trying to explain uh, this thing <laughs> to the world. Yeah, that's incredible. All right, so uh, I can't think of a better better place to uh, to end it than that. So we've been talking about the Peter Principle, so everybody should go back and, and reread that. But let's men give give a nice plug for your book again. So it's jsamet.com, and what do they get there? Uh, you can get the 40-page workbook that goes with Disrupt You, and Disrupt You is really about mastering personal transformation in this era of endless innovation. And if you need daily motivation, follow me on Twitter at jsamet, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T. And it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Oh, yeah. Every time we learn, it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, and like we said the last time, we actually had to like the whole like writing three problems down. It worked so well. I had to stop because I was coming up with other business ideas that I can't chase right now. So, <laughs> and if anybody's read the, either the workbook or or Jay's book, you'll know what I'm talking about. But Jay, you have to introduce us. Like, I want to interview the guys that uh, made like went from zero to 150 million in the first year. Like, I want to I want to want to interview someone whose life was changed by your book. Like, that's the next step. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so you got to introduce us to them. So, anyway, with that, for the general public, we will let uh, we'll let you guys go, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you so much, Greg and Jay. Thank you, Matt. <laughs>